Today's episode is proudly sponsored by the Rising Tide Mastermind. The Rising Tide Mastermind is one of my favorite things that I look forward to each and every week because I get to see people that have my best interest in mind. I know this because I have their best interest in mind. And when you get people together in a room like that, you can just imagine how people want to help other people. If this sounds like something you want to learn more about, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind. Welcome to the Scaling Up H2O podcast, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm your host, Trace Blackmore, and Nation, I love bringing this podcast to you each and every week. And I love it because I go to trade shows and I meet so many of you. So many of you are so generous with your time. And you let me know what this podcast means to you. And I get to meet so many new people in the Scaling Up Nation. And if you're new to this podcast, that is what you are. We are all part of a tribe, and that tribe is the Scaling Up Nation. And as I mentioned, so many of you come up to me, let me know that you listen to this podcast, Let me know things that you've tried because of this podcast. You let me know things that you want future podcasts to cover. And I just love all of that. And one of the things that I hear all the time is thank you so much for putting in one place all of these different conventions, all these different trade shows that are going on around the world. We had no idea that there was this much stuff going on in water until you told us about it here on the podcast. Well, Nation, that means so much to me because this was something we put together. Somebody had asked us to do it. We didn't know if it was going to be successful or not. And then so many people started commenting on it. Our team really went to work to put together a resource on scalinguph2o.com, helping you find out what's going on in our industry. So with that, I also try to go to a lot of these conferences. And through the word of mouth of you, a lot of these conferences are finding us now and letting us know that they want to be promoted on this show. Several of them have even asked for me to come and cover their show by taking the microphone around their exhibit hall and talking to all of the people walking around. And I've done that on several shows. Let me tell you, those are some of the most difficult shows that I do because normally we have 60 plus clips that we all have to bring together. The trade show floor is extremely noisy. So we've had to invest in equipment to try to cut out some of that noise as it's being recorded. And then of course, we have one of the best audio engineers in the industry that helps make that sound just like that noise wasn't there in most cases. And all of that, just to tell you, there's a lot of work that goes on through that, but it is worth it because I get to meet so 
many people. I might have met you that way, but I did meet our next guest that way. So I'm not going to introduce our next guest right now. I'm going to keep you in a little bit of suspense, but I am going to let you know that I did reach out to our guests years before I met them because I was so impressed with the educational material that they were putting out and the fun spin that they were putting on it that I wanted to use it in our training material. In fact, it was Mark Lewis, most requested guest on Scaling Up H2O. Just ask him, he'll tell you. And Mark was the one that found these gentlemen and all the materials that they put out And then I went and asked them if we could use it in our training. They said, of course you could. And then it was years later that I got to meet them at a trade show. And let me tell you, they knew how to put together a trade show. It was some of the most fun in the entire exhibit hall. I know you're wondering who it is that I am talking about. So we are going to go straight in to the interview. Here it is, folks. My lab partners are Steve Taylor and Richie Ware of Ware Boiler. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Nice to be here. Well, I have been huge fans of all of the content that you have put out over the internet. In fact, with your permission, we use those to train other water treatment professionals. And uh, I just want to thank you for all the knowledge that you all are putting out in the community. Appreciate that. Uh, it's something that we started uh, years ago, and you know we're up to almost 800 plus videos um, out on YouTube and 10 million views, and really didn't go at it thinking that we were it was going to. I don't want to say blow up. That's not a good thing in the boiler industry. That is not a good word uh, in the boiler industry. (laughs) But we didn't, we just didn't realize that, you know, just how many people out there were just looking for this information. But, you know, I've, I've grown up that boilers were cool, right? A lot of people don't know anything about boilers and, and even how they affect our lives. And uh, boilers are so important in our everyday life. And, uh, you know, we wanted to be a company that is a resource to the industry. We've got so many folks here that have lots of tenure and been here a long time. Stephen's over 40 years been in this business. And, you know, I wanted to try to share that with people because it, it's so awesome to work in a company, to have the knowledge that we have at the company to be able to really draw on. So we, we start, let's do the YouTube and the steam culture right, really came up with, you know, we thought, well, how, how do we really come up with something to where steam and culture intersect? And that's why it's called steam culture. And really just wanted to come up with uh, things in the industry. Because I always think it's very cool when I'm talking to people and finding out how they use steam to make their products. Uh, I could just sit and listen for hours because there's so many different things, you know, out there that's made by, by steam. And uh, so that's why we came up with the steam culture, made a little more, you know, build nice science guy fun or whatever. And that's what Brent does. And and then uh, the boiling point, of course, is much more technical to where I get to interview the industry professionals and, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about what they know. I think that they are great. Well, before we go on, let's go ahead and introduce you properly to the Scaling Up Nation. So, Stephen, why don't we start with you? Uh, what do you want the Scaling Up Nation to know about Stephen? I started as basic as you could get with where I started as a welder back in the shop and, you know, took the shop foreman's job in about a year and a half. And then in 1988, they moved me into sales and I was 
man, I'm, I'm an old country boy. I just, I grew up learning to, to do stuff with nothing. You, you've got to make things work. You've got to put the tractor back together. You've got to make the baler work, whatever it is. You just, you make it work. And so that was my background uh, moving in from the mechanical side and, and I just, you know, I did what I had to do. And, and my goal in life, I'm one of 10 kids and I'm number six. So I'm dead in the middle. So when you're a middle child, the only way you can stand out is to work harder and run faster and do things quicker than anybody else in the family. So that was my goal in life was when I, and, and I still do it. If I'm walking down the street, I've got to be in front. If I'm driving down the highway, I get a lot of speed tickets. I've got to be in front. I, I can't run behind people i've got to be leading people and that's that's where that started from and you know and I, i'm not a salesman by nature i'm a technical guy so if you told me when i was in my 20s and 30s that i'm going to be a salesman one day i told you you're crazy if salesmen are crooks they you know use car salesmen <laughs> you, you can't trust those guys and that was my mentality it's just being a country boy that's where it was and but then i moved into sales and then took the um uh, sales manager's job in 91 and, and then moved into executive management uh, sales and, and technical piece of the business. And that's where I've been since then. So it's been a, been a great run. I've had a, had a lot of fun doing it. 40, be 41 years in July I've been here. So how about that? Yeah, it's uh, now what he was describing as a, as an old country boy, that that's what we call hilljack engineering. <laughs> <laughs> and he does walk fast. If you're trying to get in an airport or whatever. I mean, I am, I, I, you know, I'm tall, I got long legs and, and I, it, I cannot keep up with him or his <laughs> wife. His wife is, I think she's faster than you are, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. She, she learned when first dating me that if you want to keep up with me and get to the drive in or where we're going, <laughs> you, you need to step it up. And then my kids are the same way. They have to walk real fast and everybody complains, oh, slow down. Where are you going to a fire? No, <laughs> you won't keep up with me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Richie, how about you? Well, obviously been around the business all my life and uh, my, you know, our, my dad was second generation in the business. And so I actually had a little uh, uh, service tech uniform um, when I was, what, probably six, seven years old. You know, we used to be green and uh, the uniforms were green. And so I had my little uh, service tech uniform. The thing of it is, I did not become a service tech. Um, I'm not, you know, a technical guy. I love the marketing, the promotions, uh, talking about our products. Very proud of our family, obviously and proud of our company and our employees. But I uh, came back to the business about 27 years ago now. And, you know, I went to college and um, I'm business management and I got a sports management degree. And and then I played little, I got to play college baseball. I got to play a little pro baseball. And so um, after being released, I actually coached college for four years full time in Nashville. And then uh, we started having kiddos, started thinking about getting back into the area. And we came back up here 27 years ago and uh, took the business over about 24 years ago and started running it. I actually worked for Steven throughout my history. Uh, he was a shop, the shop foreman and uh, taught me good and bad habits. Uh, just a tremendous mentor. He's, he's taught us a ton and he's so very, very loyal to our business and to our family and just been a blessing to our company. If you would, tell us a little bit about Wear Boiler. Well, our tag is always steam, and when, that means two ways, always steam and then always steam, right? So there's uh, two different meanings of that. And, you know, we do a lot of different things. We, we obviously repair and we service, but we really picked this training thing up. It's been almost 30 years ago, Stephen, right? Yeah, yeah. about 30 years ago. Yep. Um, we started doing the training thing. 
obviously the rental business is a great business for us. Um, we love that, love that business. Of course, we've grown, um, quite a bit and it, it is very capital intensive, of course, but, uh, we rent boilers. We, we do steam. We also rent hot water boilers as well. We have a large parts inventory and have recently started an e-commerce store about four or five years ago that's really become hot out there, if you will, and it's uh, called BoilerWarehouse.com. And we have just tons of uh, tons of parts. But the, the cool thing about the, the parts business, though, is that we have all these inside specialists that, that understand the business. They're not just taking an order. They understand the business and can really help out people that are looking for certain items. And so we have about six inside salespeople that just, you know, answer phones all day long. And, you know, it's uh, we've got, a, a, like I said, a large inventory of parts in stock that a lot of people maybe not have. Um, so we do have some buying power that we that we use. We also have a valve shop and we're actually a customer of ourselves on the relief valves and the gates non-returns. The guys are out there always repairing and but also setting the relief valves. And and then we do that, of course, uh, for the customers. So we've got we service in Indiana, Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama. We rent nationally, really internationally, but mostly nationally. And we're the strong we're strong more east of the Rockies, I would say, on the rental side. So. As I said, the repair, we do pressure vessel, we do combustion setting. Uh, am I touching everything, Stephen? I think I got it all. The large inventory of, of new equipment in, in yeah. stock as well. Yeah, so we carry about um, almost 25 to 30 boilers just stock ready to go anywhere from 50 horsepower all the way up to 2,500 horsepower that wow. um, that that is sitting ready to be bought, of course. And so we have those. And, and again, that's just for the, again, we want to be a resource to the, to the people with information, but also, you know, if a plant is down, it is costing a lot of money. And we take that very serious here in our, in our approach, our urgency that we have as far as how we, how we help. But then also just to draw off what my, my grandfather was just such a servant and he was a servant of, of people. And so we tried to keep that same type of service to our customers of being more of a servant instead of just providing a service. If someone were to go to your website, they would see that it's not just a bunch of information. There's a lot of fun baked in there. Of course, all of the all of the training materials that you put out, there's a lot of fun. It's obvious that fun is part of your culture. How do you do that? Well, I would say, you know, and some people they have to drink to have fun, right? Well, I'm 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 not a drinker, but we just we just have a great time. I mean, why you know, why why do you go to work every day and just not want to have fun, I guess? But we for us it's always we wanted to try to provide a an environment and a culture for our people to be able to feel like they, you know, belong to something special. And so we've done this stuff here where we've done the goofy videos and things like that with our employees. And then we just started kind of doing some stuff out in the, uh, out in the YouTube and saw that people, you know, do like that. But the boiler industry, I mean, it was, it was very stale, Stephen, right? I mean, when I, you came in, it's very stale industry and blacksmith. And, and so I guess I just wanted to, you know, change and have a little fun with it. Our, our, like you've, you've seen our booth and everything at the trade shows. And, you know, sometimes we'll have, videos going on there that are fun and and then you know popcorn we always have the best candy and giveaway t-shirts <laughs> we got some amazing t-shirts that uh, just in the the industry like boiler be tripping and uh, nobody handles the pressure like we do can't take the heat get out of my boiler room just things like that that yeah. we always just come up with i'm a baseball guy right so baseball guys have t-shirts i've got i'm reminded all the time 
my wife tells me you got 130 t-shirts that are sitting on my shelf and, and uh, I can't wear them all, but I, I, I just can't get rid of them. Love t-shirts. So let's talk a little bit about the relationship from the manufacturer's representative to the industrial water treater. So obviously we've got a bunch of industrial water treaters that listen to this podcast. What are some of the things that you think we should be talking about today that they need to know? Maybe there's some terminology. You say one thing, they say something else. How can we bring our two groups together? The biggest thing is for them to understand what the end user's process is because they can't take a canned system and expect it to work for everybody out there. That, that's a recipe for disaster. If, if you have one site that's got RO water, another site's got uh, demineralized water, another place only has water softeners, they have to have a different uh, treatment program for each one of those different processes. If, if one site has superheated steam, another site, they really don't care about that about the saturated quality of the steam. They just care about the pressure. It takes pressure to do what they're doing. Another site, it's all about temperature. They have to have dry steam. So they that's the biggest thing. They have to understand the process and what the customer is doing or everybody's in trouble. Everything starts with the water. If you don't have good water on the front end, you don't have a good process or good steam on the back end. So it's it, it's got to start from the front end and you have to get it right on the you know, it's it, it's like uh, uh, starting a car up and, and, and having water in the gas. If you start out bad, it's going to end bad. You, you've got to have it right on the front end. Of course, water treaters are always testing the water. And uh, we know, as just as you said, it's knowing the equipment. It's knowing the process. It's knowing everything about why that customer has that boiler in there. So instead of just testing the water, we also need to be looking at things like uh, stack temperatures. And we start seeing the stack temperatures go up. We know less is going into the, the water. And that means that something is dirty. A lot of times we'll assume that it might be some dirt on the water side, but maybe it is not. Maybe it's on the burner side. That's where you guys come in. What's the process when uh, you're maintaining a healthy fire side of the boiler, what do we need to know in order to do that? And uh, how, do we, how do we help each other out around that topic? We tell people all the time, like you mentioned, stack temperature is the quickest way to find out if you have a, a heat conversion problem. And, and to your point, it can be scale on the water side or it can be soot and build up on the fire side. So watching your stack temperature is the best thing to do. The, the thing to, that needs to be done to keep that combustion side right is monitoring O2, have an O2 trim system on there that monitors it for you, or have someone come in every month to make sure the combustion's right. If you don't do that, if you know, once a year, that's what people have been doing. If you don't understand how much one or two percentage points loss in efficiency cost you, run those numbers for a year and see what it is. When you run those numbers and see what fuel is costing you that you're wasting, blowing out the stack, you'll, you'll bring someone in every month to monitor, to, to check that, make sure the O2 is right, make sure the combustion is right, make sure the linkages are not locking up, just all the things that a combustion expert knows what to do. Those are the things that have to be monitored and, and checked on a regular basis. 
And also some of the new technology, you know, just with servo motors um, can really help the burner to stay, you know, in tune and keep that combustion right. I mean, it's like a technician on site, right? Um, and, you know, I know we actually work with Autoflame and, and it's just been an amazing uh, product for us. But, you know, there's other systems out there, but, you know, we really do need to, to probably get away from the linkage stuff and, and get moving to the servo. Absolutely. And that's one thing. If you have a, a linkage system that you, you need to get hold of your supplier, whoever your, your board supplier is, your, your board service company, and talk to them about putting a parallel positioning system in, putting servos in, and get, get rid of those, of those uh, linkages because you can't, you can't maintain proper combustion with the linkage system. The hysteresis built into them, they won't repeat. You drive it up, you know, it's, it's like you know, old carburetor guys that had a full barrel carburetor and they adjusted the linkage on it and, you you, you know, you shove it to the floor, you know, it goes wide open. Well, the next time you shove it to the floor, you only go 90 percent. It doesn't repeat. So that's that's the history of linkages and we've got to get away from them. So is is that a standard statement for every single boiler or if you only have a hundred horsepower boiler or less, it really there's no ROI? Uh, how do we know who we should be talking to to say you need to upgrade these systems? Is it just everybody? Everybody. It, and, and, you know, the more fuel you use, the more important it is to you, the more savings you're going to have. But the ROI is there for a 50 horsepower boiler, for a 25 horsepower boiler. You've got to you got to start from the front. When you order a boiler, don't order one with linkages on the burner. Order one that has a parallel positioning system and get rid of that right off the front end. What are some of the things that our customers should be monitoring to ensure, other than just stack temperature, that their boiler is working efficiently? O2, CO2, CO, those three. And, and not just monitor the auto flame system. One of the things we like about it, most of your trim systems only trim O2. So if your CO goes out, your CO2 goes out, they're looking at, at O2 only. That's all they're looking for. Uh, so the thing get carried away. The auto flame trims on O2, CO, and CO2. All three of those parameters are trimmed at the same time. That's that's the three parameters. If you keep those within the spec limits of, of what was set up when the uh, technician commissioned the unit on the front end, your your unit's going to stay efficient forever. And it, and it will it'll alarm out and tell you, hey, I'm out of the commissioning curve that was set up. Here's what's going on. Get a tech in here and find out what what's happened. Speaking of efficiencies, there are a lot of old boilers out there. Can those boilers be upgraded or does it just make sense to replace them with the newer technology that's out there today? The boiler technology really hasn't changed much. It's changing some now, but like a water tube boiler, they haven't changed much in 50 years. There's some new technology coming in place where they're putting fin tubes in. They're doing things to get better efficiency. But for the most part, the run-of-the-mill boiler is the same. They haven't changed them much. The burner is where all the problems are at. But a burner is limited as to how efficient it will burn. So you can change the controls on it, but you can only put so much lipstick on a pig. You still got a pig. So <laughs> you got to be careful what you what you what you deal with there, and and find out what it's doing right now, what it's costing you to be inefficient with that burner. And will updating the controls get you where you want to go, or do you need to scrap the burner and start all over? Yeah, we've said uh, over and over, you know, that it's a if it's a donkey, we just make it a really good donkey. But <laughs> you want to you want a thoroughbred, you got to change the burner. Yeah, yeah. So you have 
tens of thousands of water traders that listen to this show, I'm mm. sure that you wish they say something instead of something that they're saying. Maybe it's a piece of equipment or terminology. How do you want to educate some of the water traders today? What should we be calling some things that maybe cause some incommunication or miscommunication issues between us? Well, the one thing that they talk about, you know, steam energy and how does steam energy compare to fossil fuel energy? Well, the two are not comparable because steam is used in a process where the fossil fuel is used to produce the steam. So they're two completely different things. They need to be careful how they're using that terminology. Steam is it's an energy that nothing can compare to it in the industry that's been developed up to this point in time. Nothing can be transferred down pipelines and can carry the amount of BTU it can carry with the least amount of energy to put into it to get it where it needs to go. Nothing you can't do that with water, you can't do it with hot oil. There's nothing else you can do that with. So they just have to be careful when they're talking about steam energy and trying to compare it to fossil fuel energy because it's it's apples and oranges. Yeah, I think the Department of Energy probably helps with that uh, miscommunication because a lot of their calculations assume that everything is equal. Yeah. Well they, the Department of Energy assumes a whole lot of things. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's a different show, but I don't think you're going to get any argument from anybody here. Richie, I'm curious, uh, feel like making steam. Tell us about that. So we have Christmas parties uh, here at uh, at our company, and we wanted to make them fun. And so we've done some different parodies of songs over the years. And you know, we, we actually sing these live um, at our Christmas party. And, you know, we, we had a guy, he's actually retired now, but he we had a guy that actually could sing. And then uh, myself and my brother-in-law, Brent uh, Falcone, we would actually just be back up and just, you know, being goofy. But we, we'd come up with the lyrics and all that stuff. But Feel Like Making Steam is, is from the song, you know, uh, Feel Like Making Love. And I came up with this story about a service technician that had a kind of had a love affair with a boiler. And he started daydreaming about the spoiler. And so then we put the video to it and filmed him spanking the boiler and just having a good time with the boiler. And uh, so anyway, just it was just a just something fun that we wanted to do and obviously got a bunch of laughs. And and uh, you can hear actually, I, I believe it's out on the, the website still. And um, but you can actually hear the audience laughing and everything. So but we've done different parodies. Boiler Man Can Survive, that was another one. And uh, I Love This Job uh, was another one that we did. And she thinks my, my boiler's sexy. Um, so <laughs> she thinks my tractor's sexy. That one we didn't put on the internet. Uh, today's uh, folks maybe not uh, think some of that stuff's funny. So we, we kind of watch some of this stuff. But <laughs> Well, we are definitely linking those to our show notes page. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. We haven't made one in a while. I actually keep... I keep songs in my phone of different ones that I want to do, and I do have some some ones that we want to do, but uh, we, we've just had fun with it, mainly at our Christmas parties, really, just for our folks to to have a good time. You know you, you know how boring Christmas parties can be. You go and eat, you're sitting there waiting, and you know people give bonus checks away or whatever, and you're waiting on everybody calling each other's name and or calling all your employees' name, and everybody's waiting, and uh, we just, we've changed it up, and we have a great time at our parties, um, you know, even sometimes take them to destinations to like Opryland Hotel or, you know, to French Lick and just have a, have fun. So 
Well, I thoroughly enjoy those. Those are great. And uh, we, we use a couple of your videos for the Association of Water Technologies training because one of the things we try to do is bring the mechanical room into the classroom. And of course, that's hard to do when you're in a hotel training room. So uh, you've done a great job of putting together a lot of content, showing us a lot of equipment, and again, making it a lot of fun. So I'm curious, when you get an idea that you're going to do a, a boiling point, how do you script that? And how do you make sure all the right people are there? And how do you get it edited? What's, what's behind the scenes of the boiling point? So behind the scenes, uh, you know, right now, Stephen's office is actually right next to me. But when I first did this, okay, I, I would shoot the video and then I would edit and put all this stuff together. And I, I, it just took so much time. So that's when uh, I was like, let's just get a full-time video uh, guy that really knows what he's doing. And so we we did. We went out and we have a full-time video person on on staff. And um, Chuck Hickey actually is, a, is our guy now and just does a super job. But how it happens is... I come up with a thought or an idea. We also do some stuff with uh, chat GPT and uh, try to find out what people are searching out there and, and uh, try to come up with topics. It's getting harder to come up with topics, to be honest with you. But I literally walk into Stephen's office, say, hey, I want to shoot something today on, you know, on, on handle gaskets or whatever. And he's like, OK, what time? And I'm like, uh, one o'clock. And I let Chuck know. And I say, Chuck, hey, we're going to be down there at one o'clock. All right. Got it. And we go down and it's typically one take and we leave. Um, so we're, we're most of the time we shoot all these things within, what, 15, 20 minutes, Stephen. And yeah. And um, and then we leave and he takes care of it, edits and uploads, you know, on the time slots that we do this. So nothing real magical, you know, real no cinematography stuff. It's, uh, you know, we really didn't want to do script stuff uh, to where it just sounds mundane. We're reading. We're real people. And we're talking to folks that, you know, out there that I think want simple and, uh, you know, and what we do. And, and that's what we try to do. We just try to make it, you know, simple and educate. It's, it's been so fun to just get the emails and the text and the comments on all of our stuff about, Hey, I'm new into this industry and I'm, I, I watch your stuff every night or they'll send pictures of themselves in their living room, watching a boiling point, you know, on a weekend, you know, and, and say, thanks so much for what you're doing for the industry. So we've just, ha it's just been a really good thing for us, obviously. But, you know, I, I say this all the time. I mean, the legacy that we're able to leave for many, many folks, because this, this technology, as Stephen said, boiler hasn't changed in a long time, but steam's not going anywhere. I, I know we're, we're hearing a lot about fossil fuel and all that stuff. And, and it's true that steam is going to be done different, um, possibly. There's going to be other ways to create steam, but steam is the medium that people are using. So to just have that legacy, if you will, of being able to talk about steam for many, many generations that wasn't there for, you know, Stephen when he was growing up, right, into the business. Um, now it's able to be there. You know, they can go out and search it and, and uh, you know, and really get some good, valuable information if they want to be in this industry. Yeah, but when I was growing up in a business, Rich, they were still taking a hammer and chisel and locking stuff out on rocks to, you know, for, <laughs> for the tablets. They, <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> one of my favorite Boiling Point videos was the one, Stephen, where you showed us how you roll tubes. That was fantastic. Yeah. The short amount of time that I was in, in the shop, which was, you know, six, seven years, something like that, I I got to enjoy the, you know, rolling a tube and beading a tube. And, and then as shop supervisor, I, and even even now, I go over and, and 
watch what people are doing and, and give them hints and tips on, you know, do it, look at it this way to go this way. And I just went over yesterday and took a look at some, some cracks in the tube sheets. Okay. You need to, well, need to grind these out. You need to do this, go on the backside, do this. I still enjoy doing it, but it's tough work. It, it's hard on those guys. It is. It's a, you know, I mean, and just a kudos to, to all those guys out there that do it. I mean, it's um, tough on the joints. I mean, you know, the knees get messed up, the shoulders, you know, and obviously you're in the cold, you know, the heat uh, inside the boiler room. It's dangerous, of course. You know, we've got quite a few crews that work for us to do all the repairs. The interesting part is, and, you know, Stephen, maybe you can chat about this, is just, you know, like in Europe, we hear that they don't have the water problems that maybe we have here in the United States. I don't know if that has to do with the, the linkage. You know, we have more linkages than folks in Europe. We do tons of repair, but I, we talked to the guys in England, and they basically said, you know, we just, we don't have as many water problems. Hmm. I think that's more the municipality than it is anything else, because in, here in the U.S., you've got lots of communities that they're pulling out of the well. You don't have any wells in England, in, hmm. in Europe. They don't have any wells. It's all in, it's all industrial stuff, so they, they have a municipality that takes care of the water, so it's like New York City water. That's as, as good a water as you can have anywhere in the country, where if you go into middle of Ohio, they're sucking water out of a well, and it's we call it liquid rock. It, it's awful. <laughs> it's, it's terrible stuff. One of the things you featured in the Rolling Tubes video was the rig that you made to train your people. So there's no doubt that you all have an extensive training program. Tell us about that and what kind of program does somebody go through if they get a job at Ware Boiler? So we created the Boiler University, but we really wanted to have a physical location. And, it, and that's why we built the facility about four years ago. It's about a, a 12,000 square foot facility with four live fire boilers, a full boiler room that's, that's operating. And it's got a um, 60 person lecture hall and a 30 person classroom. And we have all kinds of different things to use to obviously train people. It's actually has a little cafeteria in it as well. And we put that together, yes, for our customers, but we also put it together for internal and what we have found, it's very, very difficult to, to try to get people to come to work, right? Because the, the, honestly, the, the businesses most in this business are paid well. They enjoy what they're doing, where they're at. They don't necessarily have to move. Um, so it's hard to get people. So we were like, we've got to figure out how to train our own uh, people. And so we actually have a former technician on staff that that's all he does is train. And then this is crazy, but we literally have 12 people in training right now for our, to be being technicians full time. That's all they do is train, and it takes uh, takes us you know twelve to fourteen months to 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 spit them out and get them in a truck. So a pretty big investment, but it's something that we saw and see that it's hard to you know find people that want to do this work, and so we're finding kids that young men that love to work. I mean, they just, you know, so, so kid that's a, uh, maybe a farm, uh, a farm kid that just know, like, like Steven or whatever, that just, you know, he knows how to put engines together. He understands that if he takes a, a uh, hay bale or a part, he can put it all back together and, and not have a spare part missing. You know, that was just something I know my dad started that a long time ago, but our training is very regimented. It's, it's very detailed and, you know, the cool part is that we have this rental business. We have as many boiler rooms in our shop 
as most people will see in a year time, you know, just on the rental side. So our guys get to see a lot of stuff just right here on our campus and we get, we get them trained up and our, our guys do a good job. Well, I'm curious, what can we expect with uh, boiler operations evolving in the future? A couple of things. One, technology is starting to take over. So you're going to see a lot more unmanned boiler rooms where they're using technology to monitor the equipment. The other thing you're going to see is a lot of outsourcing where these companies, you know, the, the operators they have now, they're now are 75 years old. The new guys don't want to operate. They don't want to be an operator. They, they don't want to go out there and blow the boiler down. They don't want to do those things and they can't bring personnel in. So manpower is a big issue. They're going to start outsourcing that. So you're going to see companies cropping up all over the country that that's all they do is go from site to site, maintaining the customer's equipment. So they'll have a monitoring equipment in place to where they're monitoring their, the customer's equipment for them. So they'll know that the customer has a problem before the customer ever knows it. And then they'll get a technician out there to fix it. And, and then they'll have contracts where they, they go in every day to blow the boiler down, do the water sample testing, and do all those things. In the last five years, I mean, the amount of operation that we do, um, just with our people and, and uh, putting crews together to go out and uh, monitor or operate boilers, it's, it's increased incredibly. You know, people, you know, there might be a strike and they need to keep their boilers um, going. And so we'll, we'll go in and operate, you know, uh, operate a boiler, um, get all the people mad at us now that are <laughs> on a strike. Uh, but no, we, we're just trying to help, obviously. You know, we just trying to, we want to, again, be a resource. And, and that was something that we started doing more and more of because we're getting requests of, hey, could you operate this rental boiler when it comes here? And, you know, we'll, gosh, we've been in Nigeria operating uh, wow. boilers in Jamaica. Uh, got guys there in Jamaica. I mean, so it's really been, uh, been an uptick just in the last five years. Yeah, the, the one thing that's unique about where is that, as a guy, um, Joe Dirt said, I don't have no in my vocabulary. He, he said, I don't have no in my heart. We don't. We, we have a hard time saying no to customers. So if a customer calls and says, hey, I need to rent uh, a couple 75,000-pound power boilers, and by the way, all of my operators are tied up operating my equipment, and they're going to be tearing my equipment down and doing maintenance work. I need for you to operate the equipment for three months. Okay, we'll, we'll take care of that for you. So, so we, we just, you know, whatever they ask for, we find a solution for them. Anybody can, can rent a board. Anybody can sell them a part. But who can provide the solution? That's what we do. We provide solutions for customers. You know, real quick, one of the things that, uh, just to plug, it's not for wear, but it's um, the American Boiler Manufacturers Association is an association that we belong to. And, you know, the Boiler 2024 um, which means it's coming up in 2024. They added Boiler 2022, <laughs> and we're now doing Boiler 2024. You know, that is a place where all the boiler people are going to be. And, you know, I, I think that's a mark your calendar and make sure you're there. Um, you can go out on the website and look at Boiler 2024. We're obviously going to be there, but there, any anybody that's in this boiler business is going to be there. And that's that's where a lot of things could really help solve problems that are out there, right? I mean, you're going to find people that are operators. You're going to find people that are manufacturers and burner companies and rental companies. And we really, in our industry, I mean, I'm, I'm really promoting probably probably our competitors here, but, you know, because they're going to be there. But the end, you know, as I said, boiler industry is needed. Steam is needed out there. And if, if you're wanting to increase your knowledge, 
and find all the companies that are out there on the boiler side uh, here in the U.S., of course, that would be something that uh, I, would, I would attend. We will be sure to put that on our show notes page and on okay. our events page as well. Thanks for bringing that up. All right, so we're going to have a little fun now. So mm. think about the oddest thing you ever experienced in a mechanical room, whether something you found in a piece of equipment, uh, something somebody said to you. What are your odd, funny stories? We want to know. Uh, a couple of them. One, um, I was in- inspecting a boiler in Indianapolis, and the plant had shut down. So I went in there in the boiler room. Nobody's around. I go up, the manway's already open, which gets into the water side of the boiler. So I climb in there with my flashlight, and I'm looking around, and, and I can smell something that, that shouldn't, that smell shouldn't be in there. So I'm, I'm looking around, I hear something. And I look back in the back of the boiler, and there's a raccoon in there inside that boiler with me. And he's, he's decided that's going to be his place to stay. And, and I understand that I'm in his home now. So, so I, w- I was getting out of that, that 12 by 16 opening. I was getting out of there pretty quick because I, I, I knew that was a fight I was not going to win. So that, that was a real uh, <laughs> eye-opener for me to, to check those boards before I climb into them to make sure there's not an animal inside of them before I climb inside the, the manway. So that was, that was kind of a weird one. So was it dormant for a while? Is that how he got in? Yeah, it had been shut down for six months or something. So I was inspected to buy the boiler and buy all the equipment out of the boiler room. And, and he had taken up residence in the, inside the boiler. Yeah, I didn't expect that story. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got the other story about the maggots, too. Oh, dude. I, I went through rendering plants up in Pennsylvania in the early 90s going around and buying up boilers because the rendering business had went down in the late 80s. And so they were selling all the equipment out of them, selling the boilers out. So I'm up there crawling around the boilers and there's, you know, there's two inches of flies on the concrete floor under the boiler. You got to crawl in there and all that stuff. And, and it, it just, there's stuff everywhere. And then there's conveyor systems that are transporting, because they're still using the plant. There's conveyor systems transporting all the ground up animals from one spot to another and then there'd be a place leaking from from the from the conveyor system and leaking on the floor. You look down and make you dizzy because the floor is moving. There's a spot there that's three foot in diameter that's moving with all the maggots in there. And then the, the, the end of that particular plant, when I'm leaving that day, I'm driving away. And there's a guy, when I met him when I came in, that he's using a great big hatchet type thing, big meat cleaver to, to chop the animals up, throw them in a grinder to grind them up and, and process them. So when I get ready to leave, it's noon, and I see him sitting on a cow that is swelled up. Her legs are stuck up in the air. He's sitting on her belly with a sandwich in his hand, eating his lunch, and he's got blood and stuff all over. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, yeah, all the things you see, those you don't expect to see. Yeah. You have to, you have a weak stomach sometimes in some of these places. I mean, the smells are— Oh, I've uh, been to are, rendering plants. Yes, that's Matter of fact, that was one of the first places my dad took me to when he mm. was training me. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad, this stinks. He goes, son, that's the smell of money. That's the smell of money. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you can put a, you can put a little something underneath your nose, though. Vicks Vapor Rub. Vapor. That's what that's I right. use. Of course, it doesn't help your clothes. And then you forget uh, your smell and you go talk to somebody and uh, they don't ex- want to talk to you. Exactly. Yeah. I remember as a kid, I actually went to, I was going to basketball practice, but dad said, hey, I've got a service run. And I, I went out with him. To a job, and we went to a leather fact, a leather place, and uh, it was Moser Leathers where it was, Stephen. And yeah. um, 
And I mean, the smell was so bad. And I was, and I had basketball practice and obviously I was there for a while and went straight to basketball and dad dropped me off. And I smelled so bad from that place. It was in my clothes and I just smelled it the whole time I was in basketball practice. So (laughs) I used to bring a change of clothes that I had to keep in a sealed trash bag because it would uh, penetrate inside my trunk. And then there Mm -hmm. was a tractor trailer stop not too far from there that I would shower and change and then quickly put those clothes in that trash bag so it didn't (laughs) penetrate everything in my car. Turkey rendering plant. Uh, The smells from that, oh my goodness. Oh yeah, yeah. It'll turn your stomach, there's no doubt. All right, so I'll ask you both this last question. So you can get any point across that you wish. What do you want that point to be? Our biggest challenge is educating the industry on what STEAM does and how important it is to the world economy. That's our biggest challenge. That's funny you said that. And we did not talk, I promise. But we, you know, that's exactly kind of what I wrote down was that I wish everybody understood how important STEAM is. I know that your listeners do. and um, But just the just everyone else that's out there to realize that if you just looked at your house and you started going through the house and start realizing that the impact of STEAM in that home starts, you know, your carpet your drywall, your food, your appliances, all the plastic. I mean, steam is is involved with that. The insulation, the shingles, uh, the concrete. I mean, you start going through and if you started making each thing disappear, that steam, you, you would have nothing there. I mean, it would just be, there would be nothing sitting there. All the paints, all the dyes. Paints, yes, yes. I mean, it's just amazing how much, you know, how much steam is involved in our lives. And I know that a lot of people are out there and they're, you know, they're like, oh, these things pollute and and we're getting better and better with efficiencies and, you know, and all the things that we're doing out here. Um, But if we just shut them off, I mean, quickly, all of the things that we love to have go away really, really fast. And, um, I did, you know, for me, I just obviously wish there was more people in our industry to, that understand it. It's a good living. Um, it's hard work, but it is an awesome living. It's a great trade to be in. Um, and it's, and it's significant. You're doing something without a boiler. I mean, that's the heart of a plant, you know, I mean, it is, if it's down, I don't care how good your people are, uh, you know, the products that you have, whatever it is, when that boiler's down, that plant's down. And a lot of people are affected, you know, from that. If our listeners wanted to find out more about Wear Boiler and all of the things that you guys are doing to provide content for education, what should they do? You can go to wearinc.com, W-A-R-E-I-N-C.com. Tons of blog stuff out there, as well as you can get to our YouTube, the Wear Boilers YouTube, and see all of the, the content out there. We actually just just separated our a social piece for our BoilerWarehouse.com. So you can actually uh, go to BoilerWarehouse.com on LinkedIn and Facebook and uh, Instagram. Twitter is Get Boiler Parts. And then everything else is all, you know, at Boiler Warehouse. But you can, uh, you know, go out to BoilerWarehouse.com. Um, also, one of the things that I uh, wrote down was um, you can also go to the WearInc.com forward slash boiler dash university 
and get to our page, we have some online classes that you can actually download and do the Boiler 101 right there in your home. It's an outstanding class, about 14 hours of video. So yeah, there's a lot of lot of information that we try to put out there, tons of content and uh, anything that anybody needs, we'd, we'd love to love to help you. We will make sure to get all of those links on our show notes page. So as you're driving, you don't have to worry about taking notes. We'll have all of that for you so you can just simply click. Steve and Richie, thank you so much for coming on the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Appreciate you having us. Awesome to see you again. Yep. Our pleasure. Most of this month, we've been meeting with the fine vendors, the fine suppliers that allow us to do what we do with our customers. And Wearboiler is just a fun place where they are trying to educate people to understand their steam equipment better. And they are just masters of bringing fun to that. Now, we've got a link on our show notes page. If you want to see that Feel Like Making Steam video, it is a riot. And they actually made a video to it. So we've got a link right there. And from that, you can just see that they love to have fun. Now, if you navigate over to their webpage, you can find a lot of material that help explain maybe questions that you have about steam making equipment. And I guarantee you will have fun while you are watching them. Now, I'm going to take Richie up on his offer to come out and see their training facility. It is amazing what they've built out there. I've seen pictures of it, but I'm going to take him up on that offer so I can see it firsthand. Now, Nation, are you getting to meet the people that supply the equipment that you work on? If you are not, I really think you're missing out a huge part of the equation because there is so much fun that you can have with meeting these individuals. And with that fun, you're learning things that you might not have even thought about asking about that are now going to save you time, money, and energy when you go in on each and every one of your services. Now, imagine if you find out some little tip or trick that saves you 10 minutes each and every time you service something. Now, let's say that you service six accounts in a day. That's an hour. That's five hours over a week. I mean, that is huge. Now, whatever that number is, you can do the math, but I hope that's a game for you, just like it's a game for me, that you try to figure out how you can be more efficient while increasing your quality output and whatever it is that you can do, that is shaving time off whatever it is, and then you can apply that time however you wish. Here in Atlanta, we use it by avoiding traffic. Rush hour, we take very, very seriously here. And it could be the difference between a 10-minute commute or a two-hour commute. Yes, you have heard me correctly. That is what traffic is like here in Atlanta. So making sure you are efficient with what you're doing so you can plan to be where you need to be makes all the difference in the world. And our fine suppliers to this industry are a key 
to helping us think differently about the equipment that we're servicing. Who knows? Maybe that's where you're going to find your 10 minutes. ScanUp Nation, one thing's for sure, the more advanced you become with your knowledge, the more time you can shave off because you know the whys behind why it is that you're doing what you are doing. And I've spoken on earlier podcasts about that, but one gentleman that wants to make sure that you understand what is happening with the things that you use each and every day is James McDonald. And here is a brand new periodic water table with James. Hello and welcome to the periodic water table with James, where we think and learn about water chemistry drop by drop. Please use your week to search online, ask your colleagues, or even pick up a book to learn more about each week's periodic water table topic. If you do, at the end of the year, you'll be 52 water chemistry smarter. So let's raise the water table of knowledge together and get started. Today's topic is cyclohexylamine. This one is a volatile topic, but what is cyclohexylamine used for? What is its chemical formula? What is cyclohexylamine's distribution ratio? How does this distribution ratio compare to that of similar chemistries? How does this relate to distance? Where is the best place to feed cyclohexylamine to an industrial water system? Can this recommended feed point change according to the industry? Can you test for cyclohexylamine? Are there limits on how much you can feed in certain applications? Where is cyclohexylamine consumed or lost in a system? Can cyclohexylamine precipitate with carbonate or bicarbonate? What pretreatment equipment can be used to reduce the amount of cyclohexylamine needed? Remember, knowledge is power, and taking the time to learn more about water chemistry each week will help make you a force to be reckoned with. Be sure to post what you learned to social media and tag it with hashtag watertable23 and hashtag scalinguph2o. I look forward to learning more from you. Thank you, James. Nation, I'm curious, are you keeping up each and every week with the periodic water table with James? Well, if you're not, you can catch up. We've got links to that on scalinguph2o.com. So don't worry, you can still catch up on your learning. And if you're one of the people that is up to date on everything that James is asking of us, I know you are a better water treater today than when we started this back in January. Every week, James is challenging us to learn about the things that we use in our industry And as I said, when we learn more, we become more efficient, and that's how you find more time. Speaking of time, we have one week between now and the next episode, and I will be back with you on that brand new episode. Have a great week, folks. ScaleNap Nation, are you getting ready to take your certified water technologist examination? Do you wish you just had a little bit of extra help to build your confidence so you can sign up for the exam? Well, Nation, I've heard you and I've got what you were asking for. I work each one of the 75 mock questions that you receive when you sign up to take your certified water technologist designation. 
I share with you the logic behind how I get to certain answers, and I show you how to set up each math equation. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep. Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash CWT prep to get enrolled today.